Do you ever want to be a guest on a super cool podcast hosted by a glamorous power couple from their cutting-edge home studio on the outskirts of a major metropolitan world hub? Hollywood, anyone? Us, too. Until then, let's pretend. One of these days, you might get a DM, a PM, an EM, or even a message in a bottle inviting you to join my husband and I for an hour or two in our chat lab, working on solutions for all the world's problems. And when you are invited, there's only one response. Yeah, uh-huh. Um, welcome, listeners. Thank you for joining us again on Yeah, Aha uh-huh with Lisa and Phil. This week, we are speaking to Terry Shepard, host of Authors on Air podcast, author of children's and adult books, including his Jessica Ramirez series taking place in Arizona. Recently, um, the first book in the collection is Chasing Vega, and the second book is coming out. Has it actually come out yet, Terry, or is it? It is out. This is launch week. I'm glad to be with you. So Captain Vega or... Chasing the Captain. I always chasing use the, the chasing. Yeah. Okay. The chasing logo is part of Jessica's brand. Great. Excellent. And um, we are also being joined by Aaron, our frequent flyer friend from California. Hello. Chasing books. Yep. Coming in on that crop job again. Yeah. <laughs> Boy, his arms must be tired. So, welcome, Terry. Uh, yeah. Thank you for joining to, us. Have you Thank you. Me. This is great to be with you guys. I love your program. Thank mm. you. So this is your launch date? Is that what you said? Launch week. Launch week. Okay. Now, are you you doing a whole lot of other interviews? I've Um, actually been uh, out shilling for Chasing the Captain for about three months. Okay. Um, Seth Godin has this thing. He says that you're supposed to, Seth Godin says you're supposed to um, be talking about something a year before it happens. Wow. (laughs) I didn't do that. Mm. um, I feel like a year is a lot. Yeah, but then I'm ADD, so my attention span isn't all that. I think it's better than it was when I was a kid, huh? In the past few years, all these time windows have become kind of condensed. Yeah. Oh man, that is so true. Pushed. Yeah, yeah. And, and, a, a year might be six months or three months now. Mm-hmm. Well, it's hard to get the content done. You know, I st- to to motivate myself, I I put it out there when it's supposed to come out and captain was supposed to come out at Christmas and then it was oh, June right. and now it's August. And then, so the yeah. Early. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and then, and then, you know, recently there's this movie that I want to see and I, I can't remember the name of it right now, but um, I tried to watch it and I was even going to pay for it because I really, really wanted to see it. Um, and, and I mean, it wasn't like it was 20 bucks. It was a reasonable amount. And then I find out that this movie that I desperately want to see doesn't come out until um, like Christmas. <laughs> and I'm like, why are you showing me this movie this far ahead? If I go to the movies and I see a trailer for something, okay. But on Netflix or, you know, on my, on our, our platforms, no, no, why? Why? I think a lot of projects are backed uh, up due to yeah. the pandemic and just coming out now. No, I think they planned this one. Yeah. So yeah, what about but, um, okay? But let's, let's get back about, on target. Um, the, the Jessica Ramirez series of, mm-hmm. of books that I guess you're the first one you you had was Chasing Vega, mm-hmm. and I have not you know when I when I look at the uh, synopsis of the book, um, it takes place in the Southwest. Mm-hmm. Of course, there's a female protagonist and her partner, right? Yep. Um, some of the other circumstances are uh, that there's a, you know, there's, there's meth deals going on. There's um, 
um, a serial killer involved. And one of the things that struck me. It's a serial me, killer who uh, targets bad guys, similar yeah, to the. Just doing the, the wrong things person. for the right reasons. My favorite. Yeah. You know, I'm okay with it. <laughs> but I'm a Cincinnati Democrat. We like guns and the death penalty. But I wonder if was Dexter or any of those things uh, an inspiration for the storyline or something? Because I, I saw some similarities. There. I was a big fan of Dexter, and I also loved Six Feet Under, which was yeah. the other you know the, the other other series that the, the star was in. Um, so those I don't know that those were overt influences. Um, I really wanted to write. Uh, Badass female protagonists. I wanted to put people in my stories that were representative of the diversity of our world and that looked and acted like people I knew. And um, I guess my biggest fear as a white guy writing people of color and, and people of a different gender was that people would think I'd be expropriating culture or even worse, you know, what right does a man have to write a woman? But the, um, the wonderful revelation that came in my work on the Jess series was the research, right? So it's, I'm an immersive method actor kind of guy. And so I drew on my summer touring as a rock musician in South America when we lived with families and learned so much about the culture there. Uh, Jess is based on a real life person. Uh, uh, Tracy Ruiz was a very good friend of mine who's been a 25 year Latina cop and went through a lot of prejudice. And, um, you know, some of our favorite married couples our LGBTQ. So giving her a sidekick who was, had that lifestyle and um, a wonderful attitude. Phil, you would love her because she's a geek. She is a techno geek. She's a computer forensic expert. And um, she's fearless. She could be working for the government for 10 times the salary she's getting in Paloma, Illinois. So that gives her great power and fearlessness, which makes her a great foil for Jess, who is this person of character and, you know, rock solid moral compass. And she gets into trouble because she just can't let stuff go. So then you surround them in the Arizona story. The first book, um, my um, medical examiner was on the autism spectrum. And that was so much fun to research because I have several friends who are in that space who were technical consultants for me about what goes on inside their heads and the, that translation issue that happens where there's the challenge socially, but inside that brain, they're brilliant. So that whole experience for me was um, a wonderful journey into empathy, learning, understanding, and taking it to the next level in Chasing the Captain. That story is about the one that got away, the one guy that got away in Chasing Vega, and she has to go get him because she believes that he's the one who ordered her father's uh, murder in the first book. And she's not going to give up till she gets revenge, even though she learns that revenge is never uh, something that makes you feel better. She, mm -hmm. That's her big discovery. The big spoiler, I guess, in Chasing Vega is that at the end of the story, she gets what she wants, but she realizes that it leaves still leaves her empty. Right. And that's part of her character development. So that's, that's the fun part of writing these things for me. I'm a very, Aaron, you know, I'm a very Hollywood-esque guy. I grew up watching yeah. these widescreen thrillers and I dream in movies. So as I'm writing the Jessica books, I'm thinking this has got to have a slam bang open. So in Vega... We start out with the Vega killing her first subject on the rim of the Grand Canyon. She drugs him and throws him in. That's how she kills her bad guys. Which rim? 
Uh, the oh my gosh, I think it's the South Rim. South Rim. Yeah, I did. It's amazing how you forget that stuff. I I immersed myself in Grand Canyonology and the Colorado mm -hmm. River and all that kind of stuff when I was doing it. Um, but that's that's how it starts. Then we go to the meth lab. The meth lab bus gone bad, and that's what gets gets Jess basically. Um, you know, she's suspended and has to go get away from Paloma. So she goes to visit her uncle, who's the sheriff in Coconino County. Uh, pretty hairy vibe. Yeah, it is exactly yeah. like that. And then uh, right. Captain's pretty much the same thing. Her her uh, boss forces her to witness an execution in Nashville of a guy that she caught on her very first day on the job. Mm -hmm. And as she digs into his story, she realizes that this guy may not have killed the person that they said he did. Oh, wow. One thing leads to another. And she ends up in London and ultimately in Moscow. Mm -hmm. um, oh, cool. And London because Jessica who I've created as this Twitter personality. That's one thing I did before the book was even finished was uh -huh. I created DET J Jess Ramirez on Twitter. Oh, oh cool. She has, you know, cool. thousands of fans we'll follow her and they're mostly UK cops. Uh -huh. So what they were saying to her, I mean, I've made it very clear. She's fictional. Uh -huh. but they, they say, we don't want to see you in London. We want to see her please <laughs> put part of the next story in London. So how could I not listen to the listeners? <laughs> Have you considered hiring a dress, uh, uh, a drag queen to help <laughs> you create a Jessica Ramirez <laughs> character for yourself? Well, you know, this is the interesting thing about how I promote the book because um, all my life. Then he might be crossing into appropriation. <laughs> yeah. Why? Well, why? My, my, why? My, whole, my whole life has uh -huh. been about, um, Mm -hmm. purpose over money. You okay. know, I, I figured that we're put on this earth to leave it better than we found it. And for me, purpose has always been trying to provide opportunities to, you know, break through self-imposed limitations, especially for women and minorities. So in my corporate iteration, that was a big thing for me. And when I finally got a chance to write some fiction, I wanted to do the same thing there. And so the best kind of feedback for me is when I get an email from a young teenager a Latina gal who says, I want to grow up to be like Jess. So how I promote the book is I take Tracy with me. And when we do our road shows, oh, okay. we go to cities that have huge Latino, organized Latino centers and culture, mm -hmm. and hopefully also have an organization of female police officers. And I just sit on the stage. I play my book trailer to start the show. And then I say, I want you to meet the real life Jessica Ramirez. Here's Lieutenant That's Tracy cool. Ruiz. And cool. tell us your life story. Okay. And then that's that's yeah. much better than yeah dressing up as yeah yeah <laughs> I'd well, love to take Tracy to London they they would love to meet her she'd be yeah. she'd have a great time there well, maybe, maybe I'll do that good idea Lisa yeah I mean you know it's it's just a what is it I know I recently watched um, a celebrity Big Brother in UK and um, uh, uh, what's her name uh, Courtney Act was on it and there was this guy on there who was completely cisgender. And uh, but every time Courtney made an appearance, as opposed to Sean, he was all over her. And they did. The, the people in the house adjusted to calling her him versus her. And uh, and and admittedly, you if you saw her walking down the street, you would not know it was a guy. Yeah, well, I think, remote. you know, we we, we just get to decide we get to decide who we are and who we want to yeah, be. Yeah. I think part of the challenge in the world now is that there's still too many people who want to label you depending right. upon mm -hmm. a number of things. You know, when I was growing up, I was the techno nerd dude 
And then I was mm -hmm. the rock drummer and I, you know, I, I metamorphosized mm -hmm. through half a dozen different iterations until I figured yeah. out what I really wanted to be and what I loved. And I think we got to give every human the opportunity to do that yeah. without judgment. And it's all about what makes you happy, right? I mean, happiness is the goal, yeah. service is the way. And um, if you can connect passion with talent and purpose, you got it knocked. That's the hard part, figuring out how to do all three. Well, I wonder with this relationship with Scotland Yard that uh, Jessica or Tracy has developed, I wonder maybe they could take a crack at the you know the Ripper case or something like that because we do we do true crime on this uh, podcast. Yes, anyway, we so. do quite a bit. We have a, a we have a Cincinnati author who does uh, true crime and he's managed to get access to actual police files um, of local true crimes get and, and even case. some you know even some national like for instance um, uh, the Lindbergh. Oh, yeah. Ah, yes. Coming up about that. Yeah. Yep. See, true crime is a really rich field. One of the yeah. things that I did in between the books is that the, the UK people wanted a story. So I created um, uh, PC Zoe Doyle, and I imagined that Jack uh -huh. the Ripper showed up during the lockdown in London, oh. killing people. Okay. So there's a short story out there, which I'll be glad to send you. It's both audiobook right. and, and print called um, um, The Corona Ripper is the name of the Corona story. Okay. And it, it's That's based cool. on the Jack the Ripper story. Yeah. Great fun. Yeah. But um, so you, this, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot there. It's, it sounds like there's a lot of depth to the characters, a lot mm -hmm. of uh, interesting angles to the story that, motiv you know, motivated by things you've uh, consumed mm -hmm. um, on film and out, you know, with interaction with people. But you also do children's books. I thought that was interesting. <laughs> well, this is the, it, and Aaron, you'll totally get this. My kids came to me, my, my grandkids came to me, they're age 10 and five, when this pandemic started and they said, Grandpa, we're scared. What, what do we do? We're, we're afraid. We're especially afraid for old people because you know, they saw in the news that those of us that are more seasoned had more risk. So they said, what can you tell us about it? And so I tried to imagine when I was a kid, what was, what were the stories that resonated most to me, with me? And they were Dr. Seuss books. I mean, I can still quote green eggs and ham verbatim, oh, yeah. you know, at age 66. So what I did was I went to the CDC and I asked them, I said, okay, what, what, if I was going to write something, what, what are the facts I should be sharing about masking, distancing, hand washing, nose blowing and vaccine science. And that became Juliet and the Mystery Bug, which was a one-off. I just made one copy for them. My son-in-law, who's a fantastic graphic designer, illustrated the book. I wrote mm -hmm. it in Dr. Seuss uh, tetramic pentameter. So oh, it's exactly cool. like Dr. Seuss. Gave it to them. Um, and the neighbors wanted one. And then the neighbor's friends wanted one. And then mm -hmm. before I knew it, I've, I'm doing hardcovers. And they're in doctor's offices. And I'm talking to Moderna and Pfizer about, you know, how we get it, you know. Very cool approved by Dr. Fauci because mm -hmm. it's science, but it's, um, it's written in a way that makes it accessible to kids. Right. The biggest challenge I have, and I don't know if you deal with this Aaron, having young, young kids, but the complaint I've got, young, parents, I've got grandkids and kids. So kids you know, you know, you know, you know exactly what I'm talking about. The, the parents are saying, the only thing we don't like is that we have to read it every night. It's one of those books they want to hear yeah. again and again. And yeah. you know, I'm kind of that's, loving that. That's common but, with other books. So, you know, yeah. yeah. I mean, that, do you have that situation, Aaron, in your house? Yeah, my, well, my youngest is now 20. Is he really 20? He's, he's turned 20, yeah. Really? Um, wow. Um, the it feels like you guys are, were just here like last week. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's been about three years now, two years. 
Wow. Um, the grandkids are six and eight. Yep. And, they're right uh, in the, right yeah, in the, the six-year-old, he reads all the time. He's, uh, he's, he got huge into Captain Underpants. And then oh, he, yeah. there's a, that, that author has another character after that. I can't remember his name, but he's, he's really big into that. He's, you know, up to the current book on that one. Um, but yeah, he's, he's reading all the time. It's really cool. I have a question back to the female um, protagonists outside of your own. Who's your favorite female protagonist? Oh, uh, definitely. I can ask everybody the question. Yeah. Stephanie Plum. I really like her. You know, Janet Ivanovich um, is one of my favorite uh, authors and I just love that character. Um, yeah. I, I love her imperfections. You know, she just, that that's what really makes uh, a, a person to me, not what their superpower is, but what, their flaws are. And Stephanie is so beautifully flawed. And through all of those books, all of her character development, she's maintained those flaws that I love. So I think Janet does a terrific job in that space. Excellent. I think mine's probably um, from the Clan and the Cave Bear series or Earth's Children. What's is Ayla? Ayla? A-Y-L-A? Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. I remember that series. Yeah. This is a thing when you're, when you're in this business that we all are, as we consume hundreds of books Mm -hmm. and in, in my, I, I I feel your pain, Lisa, of trying to read everything before the show, but what's happened to me, I'll read it long enough to understand the person's writing style and how they're plotting. You know, I've now become one of these guys that takes everything apart. It's kind of like in your world, Phil, when you, when you look at a, a box, a piece of computer hardware, you say, okay, this has got an M1 and there it's a, you know, this, it's this, I got to deal with this AMD situation. And once you figure out what that is, then boredom sets in and you want to get on to the next challenge. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, every day is a little bit different though. And, I, and for that, I'm happy, but. Yeah, isn't that great? I mean, that's yeah. the thing. That's, that's the thing. Just pick up a new book. That's all I got to do. <laughs> yeah. The, uh, I guess my protagonist would have to either be Deb from Dexter mm-hmm. or it's not necessarily a literary thing, but I love uh, the, that show Jet. It only had one season with Carla Gugino, and I really loved the character. I don't know if you all saw that. But is Dexter not the protagonist of Dexter? Well, I guess he is. Technically. There but, you are. But his sister is again. major, um, <laughs> and he was really into to her. Um, I, I struggled yeah. to come up with one, and, but I knew it was going to be my turn, all right? Yeah. <laughs> Nancy Drew, how about that? That's why it's a fertile field. There's just so much opportunity yeah. right in that space now. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. And, and, you know, I'm thinking books, but if you think about it, if they're on TV, they've been written. Yeah. Um, now one of my, one of my favorites is um, October day from Shannon uh, McGuire. Yeah. Uh-huh. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing her name, right. And then another one is from a Cincinnati series and they recently put out a, uh, a new book they had uh she had quit um a while ago and uh you know they kind of did a like a you know like if a show gets canceled um they put out a new book and it's by Kim Harrison it's set in Cincinnati uh and the um the hold on let me pull this up because I can't remember the name of the act the character right now which of course is ridiculous but my memory Rachel Morgan so I've got those two that I really love. Um, I do write, I do read books that are, uh, that have like more female characters, of course, but a lot of what I read does tend to have male protagonists just because it's science fiction. And probably oh, you're a sci-fi person. Yeah. Huh? 
You love yeah. sci-fi. That's great. Yeah. yeah. Sci-fi and fantasy is my, my major. And then every once in a while I'll slip over into uh, like paranormal romance uh-huh. or, yeah. uh, or like, I love those little cottage type mysteries. Um, uh, you know, uh, Rita Brown and, and some of the other people that do those. There's one that, Oh, the cat ones. Um, the, sci- yeah. one, the cat uh, who? Uh, the guy that's kind of similar to Poirot, but his cat is his detecting partner, and it's a Siamese named Coco. Oh, and I can't remember. Hong Kong no. no, no, no. This is yeah. No, no. The cats can't like speak or anything. It's just very. Um, they signal. Yeah, he signals. Like he'll knock a book off the shelf, or he'll he'll do a behavior that's unusual. Like for does sound like Hong Kong Fooey. Scratching on yeah, yeah. Yeah, but he's not preternatural. He doesn't talk, you know. He just kind of like sits in a specific window, that kind of stuff. Well, we so were familiar with you know, Lisa Kessler. Have you read any of her stuff? She's um, It's entirely possible I have and just don't realize it. Yeah. Uh, what kind of stuff does she write? She writes paranormal romance with okay. lots of werewolves and shapeshifters and psychics. Oh, and- yes, I do enjoy those. I yeah, read an entire uh, shapeshifter <laughs> series, but unfortunately, I don't have the brain to remember all the authors and everything for whatever reason. Um, and I won't go into why that is. I think there's a reason for it, but, you know, it's well, partly genetic. So we did we did a little mm-hmm. uh, comparison before getting mm-hmm. prepared for your episode. And uh-huh. uh, I estimated I probably read from from uh, cover to cover, maybe 100 books or less in my time. Aaron came in at like 417 since 2001 or something. Yeah. Just when he started counting on. Uh, no, I went back and added anything that I remembered having read. Okay. Okay. And wow. Prior to that, Lisa's right there. I, well, I, I had a Dr. Seuss and everything. I at this point, I'm averaging um, two audio books a week, at least one Kindle book, like in two months, because that's how much time I have to actually read a Kindle book. And then um, I only read my paper books at the gym when I'm in the sauna. So <laughs> I haven't had a whole lot of, uh, and it's the dry sauna, not a wet sauna. I was going to say they're, um, they're all folded up and. Uh, yeah, yeah, right. No, no, it's, it's a, it's a steam. It's not a steam room. It's a sauna. So, um, so it takes me a lot longer to finish a paper book, but at any given point, I may be reading three books at once, yeah. but the two audio books a week are, um, uh, you know, my, my average, I can probably do three if they're a shorter book. Cause I, I do spend literally 40 hours a week working. And during those 40 hours, I just, I read, I listen to books. Yeah. So, wow. You can do that. That's great. Yeah. Well, my job is, books, I've been doing my job for 32 years, going on 32 years. So I know what I'm doing. It's, it's basically I review charts for physicians. So all right, now I make sure they now stuff. your boss is listening to this. And okay. She's going, uh, we're going to mm-hmm. put a moratorium on audiobooks while you're on the clock. No, so she's not. I'll try to edit that yeah. out. Yeah. Uh, okay. Well, if my productivity <laughs> drops below everybody else, and by the way, I'm skunking them. Okay. But I'm expected to skunk them because I trained them. So it's right. not like I'm messing up the curve. All right. I don't skunk them too much. Let's get back <laughs> to talking about the yes. art of uh-huh. writing. Yeah. <laughs> what I think is interesting mm-hmm. is, uh, you know, I've dabbled in a little writing myself. It's been a while, but, um, you know, at one time I aspired to write mm-hmm. fiction. 
which I found out was not um, really uh, in my wheelhouse because I don't really read fiction. Right. <laughs> so, but anyway, the, the, the hardest part that I found about writing was writing dialogue and dialect, mm-hmm. trying to make characters sound uh, unique from one another. And I was wondering, is that true to your experience or do you have like a, a different challenge that you've had to overcome? You know, this is, um, writing is a lot like any muscle. And the thing that's helped me is that I've had very good personal trainers in that space. When I decided I want to write fiction, I reached out to the people that I thought were the best in the business at that point in time and asked each of them for one piece of advice for somebody at my age getting into the craft. And the thing that is wonderful, especially about the thriller space, is it truly is a community, um, a supportive community where people, there's no competition. Everybody wants the stuff. There's not enough good stuff out there. So the more, the merrier. And everybody helps everybody else. So I got great training. And then it was just about practice and repetition. My wife's a personal trainer. So, you know, you get the right form on the right machines with the right amount of time. And eventually you can take on a heavier burden. You get stronger. You get more confident. And you're able to do things better. And that's the evolution for me between Vega and Captain is that once I got through that first novel, which was the toughest, Captain came a lot easier. The thing that kept Captain cooking for so long was there were distractions, right? I mean, once you got the book out, then you got to promote it. You got to write short stories in between. There's other stuff that goes on there that's business associated with being in publishing that distracts you from doing what you love to do the most. Um, But for me, you're asking about dialogue. Dialogue was actually pretty easy because I think like I'm in a movie. So I'm, I'm thinking dialogue all the time. When I get stuck, when I get writer's block, I, I write the screenplay for the scene. So I have screenplays for both Captain and, and um, Vega that mm. are complete because I wrote them in parallel with the book. Um, but I think probably the, the hardest thing for me is slipping into passive voice. That's always mm-hmm. been my weakness. And luckily there are a lot of tools out there that set off fire alarms when that happens. So mm. I do a little bit less of that, but yeah. sometimes you just can't, you know, you sometimes you just got to go and got to go there. I mean, that's when, voice. yeah, that's uh, you know, that's what can happen if you're in exposition uh, mode, when you're describing a scene and something like that, is you can throw in some words and in, in sentence structure that um, is not active. Active mm-hmm. is, they're like you would think it's it's the it's them doing things moving forward in the moment passive voice kind of superfluous words yeah 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 a lot of that and and i had a ton of those but not so much now they still creep in but i'm aware at least in in, in some cases all authors do it's some of that intentional now yeah. Yeah. And, and and do you do you employ editors other than yourself oh yeah yeah i have um Uh I have a team. I have uh, have a story consultant that works with me on character development and plot. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I have three different editors, depending upon where I am in the story or whether, you know, I have a different one for the kids stuff than I do for um, Mm -hmm. grown-up books. And um, depending upon where I am or what I need, each of them bring different strengths. There's, um, you know, a copy editor, which is more of the grammar stuff. There's a developmental editor Mm -hmm. that actually will go into some of the details of construction with you. And I have uh, I have three that I've worked with and really really love and um, that understand you know you got to have the chemistry with the people that you're that you're around. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, uh, oh, go ahead. That's 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 been that's the main thing. And I, I don't do my own covers. I have um, three different cover designers too. <laughs> mm-hmm. Cool. 
Uh, I have a couple questions on the film front. Um, I know that uh, I, while I did enjoy the TV show True Blood, uh, it went so far by even like the third episode. It was so far away from the Sookie Stackhouse mo- books. Um, how involved would you want to be in keeping uh, a filmed version close to what close to your vision? You did write two screenplays already. Right, yep. right. Well, that's and, what I'm saying. Well, I mean, the, um, it, it doesn't, if you can write a screenplay and they can take that screenplay and go, uh-huh, that's nice, sure. but here's Bob. Yeah, you know? yeah. I mean, it's, um, it's, it's, I had an interesting conversation with Roy Johansson. He and his mom, Iris, write thrillers together. And he's a very successful screenwriter in Hollywood who has sold a number of screenplays. But of all of the screenplays he sold, only two have been produced. So he actually got into fiction because he wanted to see some of his, he was getting money, but he wanted to see some of his stuff actually find an audience. My outlook on that is, is very similar to Lee Child and James Michener, who just took the check and let him have the character. You know, Jack Reacher is not at all like Tom Cruise. Not at all like him. Oh, I, more different. I, 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 Tom I, Cruise showed the money. So Yeah. yeah there you go. And, but, and I have, I'm, I'm not, yeah, Tom Cruise. I just, no. <laughs> it's a non-starter yeah, for you, for, huh? yeah i'm not gonna go into that he just something <laughs> yeah. about him just comes off as disingenuous to me there's a lot there yeah there's yeah, too there's much there. yeah. yeah yeah it's too bad he's a good actor very good actor. yeah well <laughs> he can be but they well, tend to the I mean, live is great yeah, yeah and and really the thing is he's gone so much towards the action movie thing i think my biggest problem with it is the mission impossible movies yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, because I mean, if, if you're old enough to remember the TV show, right? Okay. There's no, it's nothing like the they TV need show. to change nothing the name. Like they need to put out Mission Impossible movies. I was so excited to there's, see that movie, and then I no saw the trailer, the and I was like, Bleh. "Yeah, it's just they a lot of money for that." Yeah, right. because New audience, right? I mean, that's what we're looking for. Is, is right, um, right, and and there's millions of people around the world who love these movies. And the Fast and the Furious, they're just not my cup of tea. And it's basically, they could have called it um, Scary Fast and the Furious. Here's the thing about Tom. I think we should take a break here in a second. Okay. Right? Mm-hmm. But yeah. here's the thing about Cruz. Mm-hmm. He does his own stunts. To true. that, you got to give true. him credit. Some yeah, of the stuff he does that's true, is very dangerous. He's gotten very, very injured. So. Um, the one in particular was where he was jumping from one building to another. Mm-hmm. And he missed... And he ended up slamming like full body into the building and he had a harness, but still, yeah. you know, those harnesses can hurt you. Yeah. They wrap those mm-hmm. things around in some very yeah. sensitive areas. Now, well, let's go as ahead Philip and take, mentioned, we're going to take, take a little break. A break for okay. Uh, thanks for hearing from our sponsor. And we are still talking to Terry Shepard, author, podcaster, um, screenwriter, uh, or sc- screenwriting script writer and our uh, friend, our close friend Aaron. So, um, so okay. Terry, you're the host of Authors on the Air. I've listened to two or three of those and uh, enjoyed them. I listened to the one with Chris Dockett, the other one with Tori Eldridge, I think. Yeah. Uh-huh. And uh, I like, you know, I like your style. It's very, uh, crisp and uh you know they're shorter they're a little bit shorter than ours are but um the the interview format i've enjoyed those so i'm wondering um 
you know, in talking to all these people from coming from different uh, uh, directions and writing and, and what have you taken? What are some of the, the strong lessons you've kind of taken away from uh, your experiences on with the show? Wow. Yeah. I mean, the, there, there, there are a lot of commonalities in the craft and mm-hmm. I, I stumbled into authors on the air. I subbed for Pam stack for a couple of weeks while she was having, um, you know, a surgical procedure done. And then she wouldn't let me off. She, she just kept me going. And that was, uh, I have 56 episodes up three more that, that I recorded, but just need to slide you guys slide into the schedule and they'll be coming up in the next few weeks. Um, and it, I was glad to do it because it was an opportunity for me to be able to invite and talk with fellows in the craft, fellow writers in the craft and I've learned a lot about the good, the bad, and the ugly of the business from them. Um, but the commonalities about where writing is concerned is that writing is something that you need to do every day. You have to, you, you know, you have to find time to do it. You have to prioritize it. And I think that's something that is universal with whatever skill you're working on. Uh, one of the things that I stumbled into when Authors on the Air is a narration career, because part of my shtick is that I read a piece of the book at the start of the show. And one of my guests said, have you ever read those? And I, I had not. And she said, well, will you read mine? So I said, sure. And that was uh, seven books ago. I'm working on my eighth narration right now. Never joined ACX, never have set up any profiles anywhere. I work with people I like. Um, I'll do some stuff for free if I feel like the person um, is somebody that I want to support. I especially love new authors who are good. Um, so that... The takeaway for me was that anything that you want to get good at, you just have to do. You have to do that. So my days, I make sure that I, at a minimum, that I get 1,200 good words a day. And that usually means writing 3,000 to get 1,200. And that I do at least one completed hour of narration a day um, before I do anything else. Now, a lot of days, there'll be more than that. It just depends on whether or not the muse is singing or I'm on deadline or something like that. But what I find is that when I'm in the habit of doing it and I know that I can't, you know, I cannot succumb to writer's block. Lisa, you, you, you can't call your boss and say, I'm having a, I'm having a little block today. I don't think I want to read those, th- those charts for you today. Right. I, I actually can because <laughs> I'm that good. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what I mean. You yeah. get, when you get into that, that, that zone, you know what you need to do. Doug Lyle, D.P. Lyle has been a, a great mentor to me. And he says, you just write over, under, around, and through it. And if you can't get it to go forward, you go back a few chapters and work on some other stuff. But you just got to keep moving. And stuff happens. I mean, we were talking about Lisa Kessler, lisa-kessler.com. Not only does she write great paranormal romance, she is very prolific. In the last 10 years, she's written 40 books. And what she learned from Ray Bradbury was that you write, uh, if you write a short story a week, so that's five to 10,000 words from start to finish a week for 52 weeks, you will learn how to write a book super fast. Yeah. And she did it. She did. I mean, she learned that. I mean, that was a great takeaway. Her interview is coming up. I just interviewed her this week. Um, but that's a great takeaway for me. And I'm going to add that to my routine. I'm going to do 52 short stories starting in January. And I'm going to publish every one on my blog. Oh, and, wow. and that's, that's like a new exercise, right? I mean, yeah. The secret yeah. about writing is true of, of reading too. I mean, you need exactly. To That's I, the I, other I, thing, Aaron, you're right on. You got to read a I lot. Have, I've, I've been taking the train to work. I have a commute from Moore Park to Burbank. Yeah. And so from 2004 until the pandemic, I was reading 
constantly. And I was just going over my uh, Goodreads list the other day yeah. and realized <laughs> I only read one book in 2021. And that wow. was MASH. And that was because they did an episode on MASH. And that made me want to go back and read the book again. <laughs> now, that was so interesting because Hooker's book is nothing like the show, right? I mean, it's completely different. Kind of like the movie, though. Yeah, a little yeah. bit like the movie. The interesting thing about where the money was in MASH, Robert mm -hmm. Altman's son yeah. wrote the lyrics for Suicide is Painless, the, the theme song. Yeah. And his son has made so much money. <laughs> I didn't realize that was Robert Altman's son. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't either. Mr. Foot would have liked it. Was, it, it, it was a collab. There were two of them that did it. But um, yeah. uh, no, I have a slightly anecdotal thing on. The it was a teenager thing. I knew. Yeah. Um, my brother and I went to my aunt's house, and um, her husband had just inherited a piano. And uh, my brother walked up to the piano, and he was, I guess, maybe seven. And he sat down, he hit a few keys, and then he said, what do you want me to play? And I said, play the MASH theme. And I was maybe nine, but MASH was something my dad and I shared. I was watching it like religiously. And he actually did it. This is the first time he sat down at a piano and he played the MASH theme. It wasn't perfect, but it was recognizable. Yeah. Danny has talents that he does that hidden he, to the world, right? <laughs> talents that he doesn't use, yeah. you know. Um, yeah, but that's a whole sure. my brother's a whole nother episode all on its own, yeah. So <laughs> that's enough, but yeah, I mean, he He's did that fun. and he was also in the youth choir. Well, we, yeah, uh, we did an episode on MASH and we could probably riff on another, oh, yeah, couple, at least we've seen them all multiple times, yeah, <laughs> and, yeah, and. and, and his his thing is he likes to turn on a mash episode and ask me which one it is, and I'm usually right. Wow. Yeah, and this is just during the credits, yeah. the beginning yeah. of the show. So. No, we have to at least get the first couple of lines. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. But mm -hmm. on your uh, on your podcast, I don't know if it's that impressive, but yeah, go ahead. I know people that are that way with the original Star Trek series. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Right. I might be able to do that, but I really didn't watch it like more than twice. Uh, Man, our, so our friends our friends sean and bill can they'll, yeah. they'll shout out the title in seconds of yeah starting to hey guys. I, I prefer mash because the one-liners uh -huh. yeah those are the things you miss and when you hear it again yeah. over, then you, you pick yeah. up and larry yeah. gelbart man yeah. yeah oh what a great yeah yeah now um, okay i stumped there's a mash he calls himself the mash ex he calls himself a mash expert um and uh back during the 80s uh, he uh, or the early eighties, early nineties, huh? He who could be? I don't remember his name. It's been so long since I listened to him on the radio. But he would uh, do mash quizzes and he would accept questions. It was so called a radio person. Dump huh? the expert, right? He was on the radio, and I was one of the only people who was able to stump him. Wow! And, um, the question was, who bought the garbage, and what did they do with it? And this is from MASH? Yes. What happened was Frank decided, he, he saw the indigenous people, uh, not his words, but, you know, uh, mm -hmm. going through the garbage for food. And he decided that he should, um, that they needed to do something about it. So he created an auction to sell the garbage to the, the local people. <laughs> and um, so the question is, who bought the garbage and what did they do with it? Because they had a plan. So I guess it's who who bought the garbage and why. 
I have I have no idea, but I would guess Father Mulcahy raised the money to buy the garbage. No, no, mm -mm. no, it was Hawkeye. And he bought the garbage for the purpose of dropping it on a, uh, from the helicopter. He got one of the helicopter pilots to take it up in the air and drop it on an exiting, um, uh, like, I don't know if he was a colonel or a general, but yeah. Yeah. Colonel uh, Connor. Was, yeah. Right. One of those visiting dignitaries that, uh, you know. Well, that's an obscure yeah. one, but now you got to come right. up with another one. So Colonel that's, okay. uh, <laughs> that's, uh, that's when that's after, um, Trapper left when BJ was around. Colonel Connor, if I remember right, right. was this uh -huh. guy who was willing to risk his living soldiers to bring back uh -huh. the bodies of the people that had been killed. Right. That was kind of one of the one of the things that was going through that. Right. Now that wasn't that there. wasn't that guy because this was Frank and Trapper was was there when they bought the garbage. This was earlier, um, like in the maybe the first two seasons. But um, but yeah, no that. And then there was the uh, the one where Colonel Potter was crazy, the, the you know Sherman Helm Sherman. Oh, yeah. yeah, he came on. Uh, I can't remember his real name right now. Harry Morgan. Yeah, yeah. Harry Morgan came on, and he was a uh, he was a visiting general, and uh, yeah, he wanted the prosecuting attorney. They had, they were doing a court martial, and he wanted the prosecuting attorney to do a number first. <laughs> like a like a spiritual mm. yeah so that was kind of and then um what is it so i wonder oh there was a general who came on for the only purpose <laughs> just one just real quick okay his okay. he he was there to uh oh no he was like a he was there to advance his career enough so that he could retire with more money and yeah. so he was he had no idea what he was doing though so harry morgan that was with harry morgan and they had to get him out of that position yep okay so i'm sorry for diverging thank you very much it's, it's and, your show uh, go wherever you want <laughs> you got the groundwork there okay. for part two of so um so uh, let, but i wonder when people oh, come on uh, your podcast uh-huh do you read their books I mean, do yeah. you read the books? Oh yeah, cover to cover of everyone who appears on. The yeah, I mean, I'm, it, for for most of them, I do. If it's way outside of my um, my area of interest, I will I will make sure that I read enough so that I can um, you know talk coherently. I'm not. Larry King used to say he never read the books, so he could be as you know as interested as somebody who would you know other people who hadn't hadn't read it yet. I think that's. I think he was just lazy. I think Larry, you, you owe it to your guests. If you I've ever seen in my life. Yes. Yeah. I mean, you, you owe it to them to understand enough about their, you know, what I do when I prep is I, I will do what, what you did, Phil. I'll listen to their appearances elsewhere. Um, I'll read their book. I'll, I'll, I will sample their canon. So I'll understand kind of where their character development has gone. And, and that gives me enough of an understanding of kind of who they are to be able to ask the questions that they don't get. I, I try and ask questions that not everybody else asks. Like I don't, I stay steer, try and steer clear from the, so what What's the first thing you ever wrote and what, what made you decide to become an author and that kind of stuff. And I, I want to understand we all as authors eventually write that autobiographical story because most people that get into writing have some trauma in their background. It's like the, it's like stand-up comedians, right? The best stand-up comedians have the, have the worst mental problems and they, freely admit it. It's, it's, it's great. Um, so I like to ask that when I, I can sense when I read character, like um, I'll give you a good example, Carrie, Carrie Schaefer, who goes by Carrie Ann King and some of her books for a long mm -hmm. time in her stories, there was always a funeral 
And the funeral kept started at the beginning of the books. And then it was kind of in the middle and it kind of got toward the end. And when we just did her, she's got a new one uh, out called um, Other People's Things, which is really, really great. It's a funny uh, story, but, um, um, you know, there's no funeral in that one. And what she told me was her discovery was that she was grieving. And that was what it was happening was the process of her grief was moving that through. And she hadn't really thought about that until we started working our way through her books and noticed that commonality in there. So that's the fast. That's what I like most about the hosting thing is digging deeper into a person's psyche and what the creative process is all about. I know, Aaron, you got to be living that with, with the stuff that you do. You're dealing with creatives all the time. And I'm just fascinated by what's behind that. What is their motivation for wanting to do what it is they do? I'm on the technical side, though. I don't really deal with the creatives. I, yeah, but you know, there's, that's, that, there's the, that's, that would be where I would go if I was starting out right now. Yeah. I would be doing that kind of stuff, or I'd be doing data security, you know, for, for some big company, mm-hmm. learning that kind of yeah. stuff. But even that, I mean, I, I loved hanging with the people who, you know, put our computers together, who understood the software. Um, and I even learned how to do app development just so I could better understand what they were all about. So there's creativity in tech. There's no doubt about it. There's, you know, yeah. different uh, approaches to uh, these solutions. Yeah. And you're an artist. Software development's very creative. Yeah. Yeah. You're an artist. You just, you have your own, the, the palette on which you paint, the canvas in which you paint is different than a lot of people that would, you would traditionally think are creative, but what you do when you're doing it and doing it well is no less art than oh, yeah. we do. Yeah. yeah. And especially if it's something you enjoy. Yeah, that's the perfect situation. If you can find something you love and get paid for doing it, wow. Yeah, yeah right? Yeah. So what do you read for leisure? Um, well, you know, I like to go back to, I have my favorites that I go back to. My favorite fiction book is The Big Sleep, Raymond Chandler. I like reading that one. I think it's one of the best constructed, um, you know, noirs ever. My favorite nonfiction book is um, Surely You're Joking, Mr. Feynman by Ralph Layton, a story of, basically autobiography of uh, the Richard Feynman and that guy, I mean, I can, I have a, a rare recording of him talking about what it was like to be at Los Alamos as, you know, a guy in his twenties working on the atom bomb. That is amazing. It's, and he talks about his safe cracking year. So I, I'll go back to those. Um, but a lot like, you know, like you, Lisa, I'm, I'm so far behind on my reading. right now. Oh Yeah. Just to keep well, up with water I mean, and, and my brother has a uh, recent come back into my life and he's been bringing books from like yard sales. And I'm like, you have to stop because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. now I'm, I'm like, I'm feeling pressured. And then a new book comes out from my favorite author. And I'm like, ah. yeah, we're like kind of walled <laughs> it's in. Like, it's like an books, assignment. Yeah. yeah. We literally, when, uh, the last time we moved, um, yeah. I am absolutely certain that the books outweighed everything else. <laughs> and I, and I have a great thing. Wow. That's perfect. We've got, we've got like five, we have a library of books in the basement on shelves that, you know, and then we have bookshelves upstairs and then, you know, they're just everywhere. And guess who had to carry 30 boxes of hardbound books mm-hmm. um, from the truck to the basement. <laughs> right. Oh well, and, and, and he yeah. got into like 10 books going up and down, up and down, up and down, uh, or 10 boxes rather. And then I noticed that the boxes I had packed them in would fit through the basement window in the driveway. 
So what we did was we had my one nephew stand in the in front of the window and my husband pushed the books through the window. Yeah. So that was about 20 boxes. <laughs> but you know, as they're carrying the boxes in, my nephew goes, and let's guess what's in this box. Yeah, right. Oh, I do recall it. Yeah. And then we say, <laughs> well, okay, we're going to divest ourselves from some of these books. We're right. going to take the painful uh, journey of taking these half price books uh-huh. and selling them. But we get yeah. there and they wanted to give us uh, like a dollar and a quarter for a whole box of them. And we just couldn't yeah. let them go. So right. I, I them couldn't. Back home. No, we took them to uh, Salvation Army. I had taken had take the dollar and a quarter. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that way we, we could, yeah. the tax write-off was a little more than, than the, uh, the dollar and a quarter, but yeah, so, and, and then too, um, we, uh, we had a situation with a cat, we, we got a dog and the cat was not having it, so it moved down to the basement, and uh, we put the litter box up high because it, it would not come off like the tall stuff. Well, it gave him something so, to barricade himself with. Right, right. And so, uh, but what happened was he ended up like, um, basically, we've got uh, almost a whole shelf of books that smell like cat pee, and we just haven't <laughs> gone through them yet. Right. So those were going to be, we'll okay. probably put those in the um, uh, the fire pit at yeah. some point. <laughs> Okay, so that's take another. Those to the, take those and sell them for the buck and a quarter. <laughs> yeah, right. Let's take them to half price books. Okay. <laughs> See so. what they do. <laughs> what I've noticed but, is uh-huh. there's been this explosion of vanity press and self promotion. It's you know the social media has made it possible for everyone to fulfill their dreams. Everyone know? to be the star. Yeah. Like we all have spare time during yeah. the pandemic. Right. Podcast true, hosts, true. you mm-hmm. know. Um, yeah, I can't imagine what that's like. So I wonder if, you know, Aragon, for instance, was a vanity uh, publication originally, which would surprise Lisa. Yeah, I didn't realize that. Going back to about it ahead of time because he was a homeschooler and uh homeschooled kids. Okay. Well, obviously, they did a good job. Those books are good. The Joy of Cooking, Mm -hmm. going back further, was another vanity. Uh, The one by Irma Rombauer, not the one by. um uh what's her name are you thinking of the joy of sex because it's no. two different books no dear oh. i'm not right. there's a uh what is the name of um oh darn it um hello uh her voice is <laughs> like Chow. that huh julia, julia Chow. Chow. Oh, okay didn't she do a version of called joy of cooking she may have but it was probably a rip off of this because this no. is like 1932 or well she was um she was actually was it, I guess it was, was it World War One or World War Two, where she worked for uh, MI6? I don't know. Yeah. I did not know that. But that yeah, sounds... I recently found that out. So I'm thinking about reading her biography because, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but the point is, okay. uh-huh. has mm-hmm. this. Uh... Was, she had the French Chef was her famous book. Okay. The French Chef cookbook. Oh, okay. It's like the, the, the French Empire. Chef was first, and then the sequel is the French Chef cookbook. I, I one thing I did find um, sad about that was when they uh, when that girl uh, Julia and uh, and Julie when she did that year of cooking Julia Child's recipes, Julia Child took it in a very negative way. Mm. She was she was unhappy about it, very unhappy. So I thought that was kind of sad. Yeah, you know, I would have. I personally would have taken that as like, you know, compliment. Yeah, you know, homage. But she did not take it well at all. But the point I'm getting to, though, is Uh 
are these vanity presses kind of dismantling the empire of yes uh, sorry hun it's okay uh, you know the uh, publishing houses and agents the old system is it kind of eroding that now and making uh, people sort of like their own independent agents you know their own what kind of effect is that having on the uh, book industry the business of publishing yeah. are we sticking it to simon and schuster <laughs> yeah, right. Aaron, I love that. Yeah. I think that um, what's happened, and Amazon has made this happen, is that it's really opened up the world to everybody who wants to write to be able to do it. And um, you know, the challenge that I think publishers have nowadays is that it's just—it's almost like Hollywood. You, you need to have a sure bet. You just can't risk um, on something that you that, you, that won't sell. And they're they're feeling the pressure, I think, from the independent guys like me who self-publish or set up their own publishing companies because, you know, they don't have the resources that they used to have to be able to throw at an author. And there are so many more, right? So you have this demand that's out there for good stuff that's greater than ever, especially this last year during the pandemic, Aaron, like you're saying, you might not have been reading them on the train, but I can tell you that a lot of people have been buying stuff because they've been stuck at home. And I had, I had about nine weeks of furlough. I was reading during that time too. And then yeah, work started I mean, it, back. And, it's, uh, and it's, there's, there's a lot of the, the, the market is bigger and there are so many more platforms in which you can consume it. Like Lisa, like you say, Kindle and audiobooks and stuff like that. It's it's so much easier to do that now than it ever has been before. So I think that the big publishers' business models are changing, but there still are a number of people like us who write who only want to write, and we don't want to have to think about as an indie. What I've got to think about is not only writing, but I got to think about every other aspect of it. I got to pick my cover. I got to pick my narrator. I got to pick you know everybody on my team. I have the good side is I have total control over it. So it's got it's to my liking. If you're working with a big publisher, you don't necessarily have control. You sell them your idea. They get to take it wherever they want and they don't even have to market it. They can leave it on the shelf if they don't want to do anything with it. Um, so that's, you know, for some people to be able to just write, turn it in on a deadline, deal with their editors and stuff is exactly the kind of life they want. But for guys like me who love the total immersion, who love having the chance to come visit with you guys on shows like this and love understanding the um, the economics and the marketing secrets and social media, what works on, you know, why is TikTok so hot and all that kind of stuff? I, it's great. It's made it very accessible for me. I roll everything myself and uh, I like it. So I think, you know, is it going to kill traditional publishing? I don't think so anytime soon, but what they're going to have to do is what everybody else has to do. And that is they're going to have to adjust because the world's different and the rules that used to apply aren't the same. True. Yeah. Um, one thing that Philip talks about, uh, he doesn't really like science fiction. He doesn't like fiction at all. And he, uh, he sort of almost resents Peter Jackson for snatching his imagination of Gollum and Frodo from the Hobbit. <laughs> Yeah, right. Um, now, when you read a great book, and, and that's a situation where he did really hold on to, he, he made sure that they, he held to the book. Now, yeah. for me, sometimes seeing Except a science fiction Bombadil. movie that's that, I'm sorry, Aaron, what? Except for Tom Bombadil, he was just cut out of the whole thing. Oh, well, yeah. And then, of course. and he did add, um, he got against in, improve the female characters somewhat. 
-hmm. but I think to the detriment, because one of the main uh, points of the story is that the one, uh, the one king cannot be killed by man, but a woman was able to kill him. And that's like the big feminist part. That's the whole feminist part of that entire series. Yeah, and that's the but, challenge when you get into that kind of stuff is right. that, that every medium has its limitations, right? And, and right. the thing about a screenplay is it's never more than 120 pages because every page is a minute. So you have to figure out what trade-offs you're going you're gonna to make. I'm, yeah, I'm I have a on, series now to look forward to. Don't yeah, well, I mean, that's, that's, that's the other thing is that you can, you can also have spinoffs where you can take those characters and think about what ifs, right? Secondary characters can have lives of their own. And depending upon how flexible the author is, you know, they may allow somebody, a, a team of writers to be able to take their, their characters that they've developed and run with them. I mean, you look at the whole comic universe, the, it's, you know, Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster would never have dreamed how many iterations there have been for the Superman character. Same with yeah. Bob Kane and Batman. It's, it's, it's uh, uh, Spider-Man. How many people have played Spider-Man on screen? How many times have they rebooted that? Just in our little span of life, now, right? just Tobey Maguire, yeah. right? And people will okay. keep paying to see it. So, I mean, that's that's part of the thing that I think is exciting about being in that creative process is that you never know when you're going to spawn some idea or some character that's going to become a thing. And that's my hope for Jess is that I, I think she's a terrific role model for for women, for men, mm-hmm. for, for human beings. And she's she's imperfect, yeah. but yeah. she's trying. And um you know, I love it when I get email from readers who say, you've got it right. That's a person I would love to grow up to be. I love it when cops write to me and they said, and they'll point out flaws. Like I had one person say, don't forget, blocks don't have safeties. You show, you have one scene where you describe Allie, just a sidekick, flipping the safety off of her Glock. They don't come with safeties. And the cool thing, this is a cool thing, Aaron, about Amazon is you can go to fix that stuff. So if I get it wrong, I just go in and I change the manuscript and 72 hours later, it's up there. Right. It's correct. So, I mean, that's the, the for me, the thing that I love about this whole world that I've just, I've stumbled into is it's a great community of support. There are wonderful people that are involved in it. It's a, a place where I can really let my imagination run wild. And the wonderful surprise for me, it's, it's been become a place where I can continue to um live my purpose in life. I'm able to do the things I want to do to create characters that others can look at and say, wow, maybe I can be a hero like that too. And I think at the end of the day, that's really what we're all here for. We're here to um, soften people's suffering and to try and make everybody's day a little bit better. We're here to add value in our own way. And if we can do it in a way that's fun for us, and we occasionally see good karma happen as a result of it, that's a pretty darn good life. And I feel very lucky to have stumbled into this one. Yeah. Wow. I, I wonder, so when, when you're writing for Jessica, do you literally visualize Tracy going through the- Some, Sometimes. I mean, Tracy, there's things Tracy doesn't like about Jess. I mean, Tracy is very good at compartmentalization. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, the, the women readers want to see Jess show some emotion. You know, when you're when your father when you when you learn that your father has been killed, you have to have some sort of emotional reaction to that. And I think the gift that Tracy gave me is that cops have to learn how to compartmentalize that, but they also to survive and not to become suicidal or addicted to things, they have to have a way to let that out too. And the the cops that I know 
that have figured that out, you know, there are ways that they work through that, whether it's, you know, getting help from a mental health professional or having other things in their life where they can, um, you know, reconnect with the, with the good stuff because they see so much bad stuff. Um, and Jessica is not 100% Tracy. And sometimes we'll argue about that because she'll say, nah, Jess wouldn't do that. And I, the other thing is that's, that's very cool is my beta readers are almost 100% women. And they're the ones that help me get it right in the gender side because they'll say, look, now, that the typical woman who's going to be reading your book would not be able to, this would not resonate with her, what you have Jessica's do, Jessica doing. And I, I listen to that, you know, I'll adjust, make adjustments to the story so that the character, I want the character to be as authentic and as real as possible. But the interesting thing is that there's also complications because we're all individuals, right? I mean, Lisa, I mean, there, you think about the number of different women that, you know, no two yes. are the same. No. And, and, and they have, and, the, the best women, the one with women that I love are the ones that are passionate and fiery and you know, you know where they stand and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and they will, they're the ones that are part of my beta group that will, I get some of them arguing with each other about whether or not Alexandra should do this or do that, you know? Uh-huh. <laughs> and, and it's fun. I let it, cause that's that dialogue comes out of that. Aaron, you know, you talk yeah, about the dialogue piece of it. I just listen to them, you know, I'll get them on zoom and cut them loose and I'm recording the whole thing because that ends up being the byplay between Alexandra, who is always saying, I'm the one who's always going to end up pulling your chestnuts out of the fire. And you're the one that's never going to listen to a damn thing I say. And by Jessica knows that that's true, but she's pushing ahead anyway. And so they have this, they're also very competitive, right? And I've, I've learned that women are competitive. Many are. And so they're always trying to one up each other and say, I, you know, I solved this. No, I solved this. And people like that, that dynamic. That's part of the fun of the story. Um, but that, that was a long way around from, from your question about how close is Jessica to Tracy. But I oh, think that's that's okay. Okay. Yeah, that answers right. it well. Yeah, yeah so, they're composites. Yeah. yeah. I think the important thing is the, the thing that we were wondering mm-hmm. all along was, you know, how do you capture, you know, your man, of course, you know, how do you, how do you speak in the voice of a woman and really authentic, authentically portray a woman? And mm-hmm. uh, so that's insightful. Well, and that's that about Agatha Christie. <laughs> answer is get a group of beta women. Yeah. yeah. Well, 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 Agatha Christie didn't have that. She wrote, you know, Poirot, fantastic. Mm-hmm. You know, that, but his, I don't he know, applause is eccentricity. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that Poirot, she used his eccentricities as his character. Yep. So, yep. you know, I mean, he just, he wasn't just a man. He was specific and he was Poirot and I love this one movie we watched where um the the chef found it a personal mission to get his eggs correct every day but how could because he ate two boy two eggs (laughs) yeah um two poached eggs every day or two partially boiled eggs and he was down to the color of the shell and the shape of the eggs yeah see that's that to me is that's too anal Yes, exactly. I'm not, sure that, I'm not sure they would have today. I mean, the, the, yeah. the, the thing about today, if you look mm-hmm. at the books, the, the um, yeah. stuff that was being written 20 years ago, Ken Follett's books were 1,500 pages long, and uh-huh. people had time for that. Right. You don't have time for that. Well, I don't have time for that. No. I, no. I based my plot and my speed on Lee Goldberg, who wrote for television. And okay. so his stuff flies along. I get it. You know, yeah. I could have it done into 150 pages if I needed to. But that's about the attention span, I think, of our world nowadays is they want to have mm. 
the act, show me the action, show me the character development. Where is it going? Don't take me any, into any rabbit holes that are too deep. And let's, you know, thrill me. Make me, yeah. me want to have that next book as soon as I can get it. I, think uh, I, wonder, I wonder what, like if a woman breaks down Poirot, you, mm-hmm. you mentioned Poirot, right? And mm-hmm. that's, that's uh, I don't know when that was published back in the, you know, what era it was. But I wonder if you take mm-hmm. a, a modern woman and breaks that down the same way that they might, they might your, you know, your, your work, you know, what, what would they be able to pick it? Would they pick it apart more and say, well, a woman may not have, responded this way yeah you know it's it's the the thing that's that's tough about that is that we all bring our own sensibilities to the table our own Mm -hmm. experience and things and um the challenge in any business and you know publishing and writing is just one kind of business is to find something a product that resonates with a broad enough audience so that you can make some money off of it or so that so that it gets traction and people want more of it and that's the balancing act is 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 finding this balance between what you enjoy doing and creating and what is saleable, what an audience will want. Um, and I think that's, a, that's a day-to-day thing and it continues to evolve. I and mean, one of the, one of the things that I'm hearing from people now is that what they want from Jess is they want a um, graphic novel. They think that she'd yeah. be ideal in the comic verse and that, that she would have fans there that would demand that she be on screen. Mm-hmm. So um, the challenge I've got is that's expensive. That's $180 a page to create one of those babies. Yeah. Um, I've, I've done some, I've done a couple of scenes from Vega. I've had them have, had them inked and colored and animated stuff. And, mm-hmm. and uh, even with mystery bug, the mystery bug series, I, I had a, um, the last chapter, the vaccine chapter, I had that created as a um, cartoon. Uh-huh. I had a cartoon version of that, that I was um, pitching to PBS, but those things, you know, you can't, that's stuff that's hard to do yourself. You got to get a backer for that. Who's got the money and the belief in the character, the character has to be evolved to a point and have enough recognition where you're going to want to um, invest the money in that dimension of, of who they are. Or, and I guess that would be the other thing that I would leave you guys with is that at the end of the day, we're not selling stories, we're selling characters. If you think about what Bob Iger bought when he bought Lucasfilm, yeah. you know, he bought all the movies, but he bought the characters for the future and the, mm-hmm. the future development and stuff. And that's that's what we ultimately fall in love with. So that I hope where Jessica is concerned, Jessica and Allie and all their gang is that people if they will resonate with people and they'll become it'd be great if they became household words. If when you said Jessica Ramirez, you'd have the same reaction that we have when we hear the word Stephanie Plum, that we know that, that we're going to have whatever it is that's associated with her is going to be fun to read. It's going to be exciting and it's going to make you think um, that's what I, where I hope we can go with yeah. the product but if it doesn't that's okay too because for me it's not the end of the road man it's the journey the joy is in the journey as yeah. the yoga instructor says yeah exactly. <laughs> um, the first poro book was 1920 and he went on through the 30s yeah yeah i don't yeah. think necessarily women were as uh, expressive i don't know mm-hmm. you know i don't want to step in a hole or anything i just don't think that the 1920s the culture was that the the dialogue and the actions of the of agatha christie was picked apart the way it might be today but anyway you know we're we're, we're getting near I the end use, use male pseudonyms too like the, the hardy right boys. oh yeah sure yep a lot of women still do that some great authors are using male. i didn't i didn't realize that Yep, that Hank Ryan that. is one. Yeah, Franklin W. Dixon is. Some... Yeah, there was twenty different people. There was one guy that wrote the bulk of the Hardy Boy stuff, uh-huh. but Franklin W. Dixon and Carolyn Keene were both um, very famous pseudonyms that were owned by this guy. And the guy's wife actually was the one who um, 
created the the yeah. world and the rules for the world of the Hardy Boys and the uh, Nancy yeah. series. So mm -hmm. that's collaborative effort, very much. Yep. Collaborative. Yeah. So I know that you want you need to hit the road here. So let's go ahead and wind it. Birthday party. Wind it down. Um, so last, I just wanted to ask you because uh, you know we we're kind of music oriented our podcast you know like Sometimes. every other I mean, third we've had one a few. or whatever is usually some yeah. kind of musical topic so i just you mentioned you're a rock drummer so i wonder you know what kind of uh, uh band are you in and uh you know ah. your inspirations <laughs> not for a long time but i <laughs> when i was in the 70s i was all it was it, I, my touchstones was chicago and bill chase anything with horns in it mm -hmm. um I, I was a big fan of earth wind and fire um, and that's, that's the kind of stuff I love, but it's, it's interesting. You're talking about music because every one of my books has a soundtrack that goes with it. Mm -hmm. So I have a soundtrack. I imagine like, uh, at the beginning of chasing the captain, the, the first big scene is on a um, test track in Detroit mm -hmm. where this electric car, basically a, a, a very powerful version of a Tesla is getting ready to compete in the Daytona 500. And I, as I'm writing that, I've got Steppenwolf's Born to be Wild just blowing out of the speakers at full blast. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and that's that's what's I think is part of part of the cool stuff about this is yeah you that's that's what helped gets the dialogue flowing in your mind and the visuals just happen when you hear that. Right. And that, that may be because that may be my own, my own sensibility and my own love for music. One of the things I considered was being a session musician when I was growing up, mm -hmm. but after a after a summer of touring. I got over all of that. I knew that uh, I did not want to make a living with my wrists. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you're talking about a workout too, playing drums. That'll, that'll, I'm sure. That's oh yeah, it was a great shape then. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, it was, yeah. it was, it was great for a young guy for a senior in high school to mm -hmm. have that experience. That the rock star experience was was terrific, and I got to meet a lot of amazing people. I loved the radio, my radio career for that reason. Um, Judy Collins told me something that has resonated with me in my writing career. She said, "Every song has been written." And it's your job to recreate the magic for mm. your audience and for your generation. So don't feel bad about stealing, you know, take the okay. words, but make them your own. Yeah. So yeah. you want to think about both sides. Now, how many songs have been spawned by that great one? Yeah. And, yeah. and that's so, so that it's interesting how the pieces of our lives. And I think if you think about your own, you're, you're mentioning Lisa, about you know your brother being in and out of yours and stuff like that. These things that happen yeah. uh, make us who we are. And mm -hmm. the good and the bad, if we can learn to just kind of accept, it's kind of a Buddhist thing, but if you can just accept it as what is mm -hmm. and try and find out what the gift is. Where's the pony in the manure pile, as they say? There yeah. always is one. Sometimes it's just a little harder to find. You got to dig a little deeper. Yeah, I'm going to have to dig a little deep. How can you move <laughs> forward? Yeah. Yeah, I am. Um... You know, one of the things is I do listen to music as well as books, and um, I, I tend to listen to um, uh, Weird Al Yankovic and Dwight Yoakam because they share my birthday. <laughs> and what you don't know is I try to work that into every podcast. <laughs> is that true, Aaron? Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. That's kind of because it is me and Barbara Walters. So. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, we should, uh, October 23rd, Ryan Reynolds, um, Weird Al Yankovic, Dwight Yoakam, Ang Lee. Um, I'll share my birthday. And, oh, and Johnny Carson. Aaron, you got to watch um, okay. that Nina Simone. Uh, I watched it again last night. It's really, it it's better yeah. than I remember. Yeah. I mean, we just did really an episode on the uh, Summer of Soul. Did you see oh, yeah. that, Perry? Sure. Yeah. Uh huh. 
Um, mm -hmm. That was, I, I think it's the best music documentary I've seen. Well, this one on mm -hmm. Nina Simone is almost, you know, it, it, it's, it's as far it's as just so covering individual artists is really, yeah. really good. Well, there's a ton of, I mean, Standing in the Shadows of Motown is an absolutely fantastic um, documentary about the guys in the, in the band. Yeah, um, the boys in the band, Linda Ronstadt's "My Own Voice." I mean that. Oh, incredible! That, I was gonna say, like we went if, to the theater to see that. I'm I'm really not that much into podcasts, and I'm more book than or I'm more spoken word than music. But um, but yeah, the Linda Ronstadt. Oh my goodness, that was so. I I knew nothing about her, and that that's actually my my number one. Yeah, she's very of deep. The person. recent biopics. Yeah. yeah. And that's yeah. more of a less less of a biopic, I think, than a, an actual documentary, as opposed to like, for instance, um, uh, uh, oh darn it, uh, you know, the Elton John, oh, the, the biopics, the Johnny the Cash, yeah. Rocket Man, the, mm -hmm. yeah, huh? Yeah. Biopics, yeah. And then of course, I really love the Queen one, even though um, I'm aware that there are problems with it, but then I think there are problems with any of those, especially if the originator is involved. They're telling a story mm -hmm. you know, and they'll, they'll, they'll do whatever it takes. And, it, and <laughs> while they do try to put in some of the, um, uh, some of the negative, they have a tendency to, I, I don't, I, I, I hope that people tend to want to get the positive message across Yep. more than just the negative. Yeah. But I mean, everything, everything you consume has that. You you can look look for the what, what do they say in Pollyanna? You look for the good. Uh -huh. If you look for the good, you find it. If you look for the bad, you find right. it. And um, in in many cases, you you can. What is it? Uh, accept what you can't change. Change what you can change. And then the one that everybody forgets is remove yourself from the unacceptable. That's the third thing. <laughs> so yeah. hard to do. Yeah. Let's. Uh, yeah, to keep your. I I have trouble keeping myself positive sometimes. I know if um, I had a five-hour drive ahead of me, I'd want to. I'd want to be getting. Okay, the road. one more so, question. Let's go okay. ahead. Okay, because um, we we definitely want to any in charitable endeavors we want to um, to bring to the fore. You know, to the fore. Right. Um, you're an advocate for children with Down syndrome. Um, what what has brought you to that? Is there well, something we were, in your personal we, life? We've been gifted with this beautiful spirit. Our granddaughter Juliet who is the star of Juliet and the Mystery Bug, came to us with Down syndrome. And um, she is, I'm convinced she's the smartest person in the room. Uh, but we were, the advice we got when she was born was have the same expectations for her that you would for any child, but understand that she's going to take the scenic route to get there. And that, that was a huge gift for me because I think in our own way, each of us, we take our own route to find out where we want to go. We all take the scenic route and we get in trouble when we try not to, when we de decide that we got to follow 12 grades and then there has to be four years of college after that. And there has to be this, there has to be that. That's where you get into trouble. You have to figure out what your pace is, what works best for you. And you have to be accepting of others the way that they're, the route that they've chosen to take. And so when we had experience with this because my wife's uh, youngest brother was born with Down syndrome, but that was uh, many years ago. He had a lot of health problems. He died when he was 18 um, of a heart issue. Juliet doesn't have any of those health problems. She's like, her constitution is iron. She, I, we think she's probably been exposed a dozen times to COVID in preschool, but never even gets a, a runny nose. Um, so since she came to us, that was a sign to us that what we wanted to do was to be able to 
aggregate resources for families and friends of kids with Down syndrome. And that's where the DownSyndromeNation.com project took roots. We created that a year ago, and um, it's, in essence, a nonprofit that aggregates all of this advice and counsel for every season of a, of a person's life. So if you're a new parent of a child with Down syndrome, there are resources there to help you figure, figure out how you're going to navigate that world. Um, education. You know, do you mainstream? Do you do something very specific? How do you get involved with early intervention, which is the new, new thing? Juliet started having therapy when she was three weeks old that we were convinced has given her a head start. Uh, and then careers, you know, careers, how do you, how do you navigate that part of your life? That's uh, been something that her parents and my wife and I have been very um, passionate about. And it's opened us up to it, like the, like the writing thing. It's opened us up to this amazing universe of human beings that not just the kids who are all wonderful, but the parents who are equally heroes, amazing, peaceful warriors that are all trying to figure it out. And in a way, it's a microcosm for just life in general, isn't it? I mean, we're all, we all come into the world with a toolbox and every toolbox is a little different and it can be a toolbox that involves our, um, our, our race, color, creed, our ethnic background, our economic situation can be part of it. But it's also the stuff that we've come with, with intellect and our physical capabilities and stuff like that. And what you got to do is you got to figure out how to use those tools to create a meaningful life. And um, the thing that's the down syndrome nation.com project has taught us is that everybody's toolbox is different, but everybody's toolbox is capable of creating amazing art if we just allow them to do that and help them identify what those strengths are, get them the resources they need and cheer them on. I mean, that's the yeah. greatest thing. We weren't sure if or when Juliet would ever walk, but once she, once we started cheering her on, she's mm-hmm. unstoppable. If she wants to do something, she will figure out a way to do it. I wish when I was her age, I had that same level. Of How old diet. was she when she started walking? Um, boy, you know, I, that's, that's a great question. Lisa, my wife could tell you the day we, we have a yeah. video of it. We were there when it happened. Oh, yeah. wow. That is and so great. That's amazing. Yeah. But that's she a great, yeah. that's a great uh, message to, mm-hmm. to close the show on. I guess if you, if you go to terryshepherd.com, you could probably find down syndrome nation.com link there, probably your social media, I assume. And everything's there. That's a yeah. great place to start. Terryshepherd.com. Guys, yeah. it's been so much fun being with you. It's nice to meet you. Thank you for including me in your lives. Yeah, it's been a we, blast. We do have yeah. two podcast maintenance questions that we ask every week. Yep. One from me and one from Philip. So mine is, um, is there anything we didn't ask you about that you thought we should have? No, that's good. Everything's okay. yeah, that's fine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I've done enough of these. There's there's kind of a difference when you're a host. Uh-huh. You have a different shtick than you do when you're a guest. Yeah. Oh yeah. We haven't <laughs> gone down that road yet. Well, and, and we, you yet, have so. been, I've noticed in this that sometimes we kind of Aaron will be there, but we don't really actively include him. We don't really and you're very good at that. Oh, thanks. So yeah. you've, well, you've I identify with Aaron. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's my brother and, uh, from another mother, I think. Yeah, yeah, I think so. You guys, All right. Yeah, you guys got so you um, got And Philip, your question or your thing? I think I hit all my the questions. The socials. Huh? I, we just Would you like social. to share your socials? We just Any other socials? socials? Yeah, I mean, it's, um. Okay. The, I, I, said, I said people to the website because <laughs> I was not smart enough to use the same thing. I mean, 
as 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 on every platform. So there's it's, it's all available from your website. Right. Yeah, yeah, I got I have the icons you can link and uh, put, feel free yeah. to friend me, friend me. I'll friend you back. Okay. And my, the secret of social media for me is engagement. I mean, if you're if you're my friend, we'll talk. <laughs> you know, I, I actually one day made Philip go in and change all of our socials to the same name. Right. And yeah. the, the hardest part was finding the name. And it's um, it's Yaha Pod on everything. Yeah, and that's so tough. Except for the that's, website. But, that's, you know, that's, that's not easy to remember. Happens. You know, you need yeah. you want something that's got to be. Right. I, yeah, T Shep is what I'd like to do everywhere, but I can't yeah. get it everywhere. So. Yeah, well, I couldn't even get my own name as a. Uh, there's a Lisa Huey who's a photographer. Okay. How dare um, she? How dare she do that? I know she <laughs> took my name. Inconsiderate. So. Yeah. yeah. And a lot of and then I even tried my, my maiden name and that's taken by someone else whom I'm friends with on Facebook. Yeah. So, you know, <laughs> yep. All right. furniture, well, Aaron, you have a good trip, Terry. Okay. Oh, thanks. Really yeah. Thank, thank, thank you, you all. very much. Right. Yep. Uh, sorry. We kept it on for so long. Right. Oh, it's my pleasure. And have a great trip. Only because it was so much fun. Yeah. Right. Stay, right. stay safe. Stay. Guys. Yeah, you too. you too. Okay. Mm-hmm. We'll be in touch. See you. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Lisa. Bye. Thanks, Phil. Thanks. Thank you, Aaron. Hey, listeners, it's Lisa. And Phil. From Yeah, Uh-huh. How are we doing? We love feedback. Please use our socials to let us know what you think. We have social. Twitter. Yeah, Uh-huh Pod. Instagram. Yeah, Uh-huh Pod. Facebook. Yeah, Uh-huh Pod. Notice, Notice a, a pattern. pattern. Website. www.yeah-uh-huh.com. So let us know. Hit us back. Have a great week.